0: I was aware that, that the word pleasure, often people will straight away go to the idea of sex. And I'm also aware of that with my work as well. Like, do you know what? It would be so much easier for me to, you know, inverted commas, like sell joy in motherhood. But that's not where the work is. The taboo is with pleasure, with a mother actually having some pleasure in her life. Welcome to Authors of Impact. I'm your host,
1: Jazz Rawlinson, best-selling author, book coach, and all-round lover of impactful stories. Join with me as we go behind the memoir with some of the world's most influential authors, revealing the secrets and strategies that have helped each writer go from big idea to author of impact. I'll also share with you the techniques and tips that I use as a book coach and author that can help you better navigate the writing and publishing process for yourself. If you're ready to become an author of impact, this is the place for you. Hey there, Changemaker, and welcome back to Authors of Impact. Today, I am pleased to bring you Regan Fig. Regan Figg is a pleasurepreneur and mama of three who mentors women to connect with their innate feminine wisdom and lead pleasure-filled lives. In 2016, Regan was diagnosed with perinatal mood disorders during her son's first year of life. And as a former exercise physiologist, yoga and meditation teacher, as well as a health and wellness coach, Regan was shocked at how much she struggled to look after herself in motherhood. Today, Regan shares the invaluable tools she developed to not just cope in motherhood, but to relish it. And she's also the host of the podcast, The Pleasure Collective as well as her brand new book, which we will be talking about, which is called A Mother's Pleasure. Regan's mission is to help women dispel societal conditioning, reclaim their goddess energy and create feel-good flow in motherhood. It's my pleasure to bring you this interview and I am sure that you will get so much out of today and everything that Regan has to share about how you can bring more pleasure to your life. And I should say as well, that if you're thinking that this chat is all about sex, it's not. So I encourage you to have a listen in and I would love to hear your thoughts after this episode. So without further ado, here is Regan. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Regan. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you on the show and to have you here to talk more today about your book, A Mother's Pleasure, and about your story and the whole writing process and what it was like for you. But before we dive in, could you share with us maybe one interesting or quirky fact about you that people might
0: not know? Okay, so just something random that comes to mind is that I used to dance on cruise ship. That was one of my past lives and I used to also work in underground mining. <laughs> wow, that is such an un- that's, yeah, such a juxtaposition of um, jobs. Yeah. I wasn't dancing underground. I was an exercise physiologist. (laughs) I'm glad you cleared that up. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. (laughs)
1: Very cool. And how long ago were you doing the cruise ship stuff?
0: Uh, Like 17 years ago now. Wow. That's very cool.
1: I definitely wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, I thought it was interesting enough already, just your background as an exercise physiologist and a yoga teacher and all those kinds of things, which... know we'll be talking about in today's interview what I actually thought was a bit quirky though and you might I'd be interested to see what you think but when I was reading your bio and it said you know uh, you know Regan is a pleasurepreneur and I was like oh what's that you know it's kind of a little bit quirky so obviously we'll talk a little bit more in the interview about what you do today and how your backstory led to this but what's a pleasurepreneur what does that mean to you Yeah.
0: So it's ultimately leading with pleasure and being driven by desire. So the way I came to build my business and do my work in the world as a pleasurepreneur, of which the term I coined myself, is after I'd had my first child, I had ended up with postnatal depression and anxiety and insomnia. And then not long after, two years later, I had another child and then I got this undeniable like uh, i can't just like describe like a a pull to do this work to work with women and be able to help women pulling in with my like my yoga training my past coaching training uh, my exercise physiology tra- training and um to help other mothers live a a better life you know better in in their terms and I basically made a deal with myself that in order to look after myself, um, I was only going to do the things that brought me pleasure and didn't deplete me. And when it came to my work, because my babies um, and my health needed to come first. So, yeah, um, that has really been the foundation of the way I um, operate in business.
1: Yeah, the way that you show up in life, in the world, in your business, yeah. which is interesting. But I would like to talk to you more about the whole pleasure piece a little bit later and some of the misconceptions around that. But first of all, I'd love if you could just share with our audience a little bit more about your story and what, um, I guess, what the catalyst was, Kess, that, that sort of led to that rock bottom moment. You'll know what I mean. Not Not essentially rock bottom, but, you know... You had this background as a yoga teacher and in health and well-being and exercise physiology. So obviously you're somebody who is very well versed in taking care of yourself. But then when you began your journey into motherhood, you found yourself in this place where none of your former teachings were really helping. So can you take us back to what your journey to motherhood was like and then I guess how that how you sort of found your way out of that? Place that you were in? Yeah,
0: I love that question. So, thank you for asking that. So, basically, I was, I stepped into motherhood, into pregnancy, full of confidence and assuredness. Um, and then, after I had my babe, he wasn't a great sleeper. I was up sometimes, like, you know, six to 10 times a night, which went on for months. And then it got really intense around that four month sleep regression phase. And you know, along the way, I also found myself trying to lean on the things that had helped me before, the things that made me feel better, that made me feel good about myself, that were just kind of like almost maintenance activities for my physical, emotional, and mental health. Um, But they weren't super accessible or available to me when I had, you know, a beautiful little baby, or I was like really exhausted. And Yeah, around that four-month mark, things started to dip down in terms of my mental health. And it wasn't until I was about probably eight months or so postpartum that I actually got the diagnosis of postnatal depression and anxiety and I'd been struggling then with insomnia for months because after my baby eventually started to sleep a bit better but my body had forgotten how. And so I kind of just went on this like deep dive of a journey to explore like how I could help myself to feel better. Um, I did all of the things I threw myself into all of it, like reading podcasts, therapy, group therapy, like chatting with other people, like anything and everything that I could, I threw myself into. And along the way I experimented and I played with different things just to see what I could do that would be helpful. And within about sort of nine months or so, I really started to feel like I'd recovered from that. And yeah, continued to, by then I was, um, Oh, not long after I was then pregnant with my second babe. And so, yeah, I then was like, okay, so this time, you know, I feel like I've got a few more tools under my belt and um, I've gotten a bit better, a bit more skilled at, yeah, looking after myself in a way that's actually possible with the little people. And so it was less about being okay this time. I was like, can I actually be good, you know, like can I actually have – two kids under three and by then we were living interstate away from like all of our family and friends but can I actually be okay and so yeah it was just basically a embodiment of all of the things that I had learned and discovered and yeah started to put into place and then I realized I had a whole bunch of things that could help other women so it was about having conversations with other mum friends at playgroups at first, and then it was um, running women's circles, and then having one-on-one um, clients, and then running online programs, which I'm still doing now, and also one-on-one work. So, yeah, I discovered that there is so much out there that tells us how you know um, difficult motherhood can be, but not a lot of tools that can help us with that or even just like tools to help change our perception of that so we can experience it differently you know um so yeah I'm not sure if that's answered your question no definitely it definitely does and I was just thinking about how much
1: I related to a lot of that because my journey to motherhood was that I, I think I had you know and I've talked with um we've had some guests that were um birth trauma experts as well and we talked about how Even if you have, say, a pregnancy or a birth that was fairly smooth sailing, like in terms of like no no major complications during pregnancy, doesn't always mean it was easy. And there are so many things that we deal with as new mothers. And like you said, sometimes we just don't know where to go to get help or what to do. Um, For me, I had some difficulties during pregnancy in terms of like pubic symphysis disorder and like just all of that pain. And then labor was, you know, obviously not not the best. And then I didn't sleep for about 14 months. And I really related when he said, even when, you know, baby started sleeping, my body had forgotten how. And I found that I was trying to get help. I was going to my doctor and saying, please help me. I can't sleep. And I had this gigantic Tupperware box of everything I tried, like melatonin, 5-HTTP, like or five HTV and all these other things and I was like I'm trying so hard and nothing's working unfortunately she wouldn't help me um, I did through a long journey find someone else who would help me with you know some sleeping tablets to let me start sleeping again but I didn't have anybody to really I didn't really have a circle of mums like to talk to and any that I did try to talk to online it was just like well, you don't want to take that because you might endanger your baby. So then there was judgment and it can be just really difficult to know firstly what to do. And then also when you're so depleted and this, you know, leads us into your work in the book, it's so hard when people are saying, well, just take care of yourself, have some self-care. And it's like, I'm not even sleeping. I don't even know where to start. And one of the, the things that really stuck out to me in your book was that you talk a lot about, um, being open to and aware of our desires. And I was thinking for those maybe new moms who are in the trenches like you and I were, um, they probably have no idea what they desire. And as I read your book, I thought I, I certainly had no idea back then, you know, what I desired. And so I was wondering if you could, you know, what you would share to say a mum who's in the middle of it right now. And she's like, well, I just don't even know where to start with bringing more pleasure into my life or I just don't even know what I desire. So what would you say to a mom who's in that kind of situation?
0: Yeah. And this is part of the process, right? This is part of the, um, becoming because probably up until that stage of becoming a mom, you know, chances are like, I'm going to go back to my own experience. You know, I would have, I had 29 years of knowing myself as I was and, um, yeah, as a single, like not attached to a child type of person, like what I enjoyed and what brought me pleasure. Um, and then when I became a mom, I became a whole new version of myself, a whole new person and I had different, um, I had different sort of demands on me and different expectations of myself and a whole what I call Pandora's box full of beliefs and socializations and conditionings that I brought with me up until that stage of motherhood. And so I think the question for me wasn't about just like, well, where do I start with, you know, working out what it is that I do and don't, what it is that I do, what, let me start again. It wasn't about so much about what is it that I desire. But I first started with what don't I desire? Like, what do I know for sure that I don't want in my life? And so that can be really helpful because it helps to narrow down what it is that we do want. And so knowing for sure, like, actually, I don't want this or that doesn't feel good or this doesn't feel right for me. Like just starting to learn that connection with our body and, and starting to open up the communication with our body and our senses to start to bring that awareness of our likes and our dislikes. And something I share in the book is the activity of know your yes, no, like know what is your yes and know what is your no. So this could be something as super simple as like every time you need to make a decision of what you want to eat, like, okay, it's morning time, it's breakfast time. I normally have eggs on toast. Do I want that? And like trying to work out with my body, is that a yes or a no? Um, It might be like, oh, actually, I feel like raisin toast today, which is super random. I hope there's some in the freezer, you know. Um, And so it's like a noticing of that communication with our body because we spend so much time in our heads, like from the neck up, especially you know, when we've got little ones. And I think this is the idea, like this, this, um, there's this preconceived notion that, oh, like when you're a mother, you're very maternal and you are like in this feminine flow and it's all about like surrendering and just being with life and actually will know often it's actually very, you're in this masculine energy of like nap times and schedules and, um, you know, getting all of the things organized and ready and packing the snacks and finding the shoes and doing that. You know what I mean? And so we can be up in our heads a lot of the time. And that can carry over too from, you know, adult life of, you know, the glorification and celebration of being productive and achieving and, and doing all the things, you know. Um, so it was about for me and what I would invite those people to do who are just starting to explore like, well, what is it that I desire? Like, yeah, number one, noticing what what do you know for sure you don't desire and then uh, inviting yourself to hear that, from your body like well what is it that I desire is this a yes or is this a no is it eggs or is it raisin toast is it to actually go on that play date that you'd organize with a friend today or actually just kind of stay at home and snuggle your babe you know just noticing how you feel and allowing yourself to honor that because that's kind of the next piece you know yeah and that's so
1: important too and I I really loved that you brought that up in the book because like you said, we spend twenty four seven, literally in our bodies, but often not not really in our bodies, not present, not aware, and all of us, you know, are guilty of that in varying degrees. But I think, yeah, just learning to connect with your body um, and work out, like, what do you actually feel like? And I was doing that this morning because usually, um, you know, earlier this year, I just made some changes in the way that I eat in terms of I wasn't actually even having breakfast. And I was doing that because I I thought, um, you know, it's a bit of a different tangent, but I thought it was what I was meant to be doing in terms of like the 16-8 diet or all these different things. And I was ignoring that I was always hungry because I was just like, well, this is the way it's meant to be apparently. And so I changed and started having breakfast. And so usually I don't, um, I don't drink tea or things like that anymore. But this morning I was like, just really feel like having a nice cup of chai like I just really feel like having a tea while I talk with Regan and that's actually what I feel like and that's actually okay you know that might sound a little bit unusual maybe to listeners to go oh that's a random thing to think about but I think you can apply this in so many different ways even to some of the everyday things that we do that you know we don't even think about and an example you gave in the book was and I really related to this, was so many mothers and women in general, we don't even stop to allow ourselves to go for a pee break when we need to. We're just so busy in work or with our kids or whatever it might be. We just go, no, 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 I'm being productive right now, or I'm doing this thing and I'll take care of, it's not even really a conscious, "I'll, I'll take care of myself later. It's just a, no, I don't need to. Um, and I think that applies to so many areas of our life. It's like, no, I don't need this. I don't need that. Instead of actually asking, like, what do we desire? Um, so I was really glad you put that example in because I was like, that is so true. There's so many women I know as well that won't even stop to, you know, go for a bathroom break. Um, and this brought me, brings me to another part of your books that I wanted to talk about that we vaguely or just briefly touched on earlier, which was the concept of pleasure, because some people might be listening and thinking, oh, this book, it's called A Mother's Pleasure. It must be all about sex, right? Uh-huh. And I was wondering if this is a question or a kind of a misconception that you've had a lot with both your work and with the book. Have you had a lot of people sort of say, oh, this must be all about sex or is it, is it
0: just about sex? Um, I was aware that that, that the word pleasure like often people will straight away go to the idea of sex. And I'm also aware of that with my work as well. Like, do you know what? It would be so much easier for me to, you know, inverted commas, like sell joy in motherhood. But that's not where the work is. You know, the the taboo is with pleasure, with mother, a mother actually having some pleasure in her life. And so it's an invitation to the woman who is opening to this kind of an experience so that's where I sit in terms of like the word pleasure like I wanted to have it there to make sure that it's almost like an activating kind of a opportunity and also yeah it's not just about sex and that's why I think there's hardly anything to do with sex in the actual book and I think that's part of my work too is in letting others know that pleasure is so much more than just sex. And in fact, most people might not even relate pleasure and sex together, you know? And so, yeah, it's definitely not about sex, just about sex. There is a little bit about sex in there, I think. And yeah, pleasure is all encompassing. Pleasure is like the sun on my skin. Pleasure is, you know, choosing to have that cup of tea this morning for you and enjoying it. Pleasure is in being in, like, a really connected conversation. Um, you know, pleasure is in swimming in the ocean on your own, diving under the water, you know. Pleasure is, like, available to us all the, always. You know, I can find pleasure and sensuality in driving my kids to soccer, you know. Um, what would you say to a mum and, you know, because I, I know where you're going
1: with this, but if there's a mum that's like, what on earth are you talking about? How do I find pleasure (laughs) when I'm, you know, if we think back to the mom that I guess the place you and I were when we were really struggling at the beginning of motherhood, if you think of maybe that kind of mom and she's like, how the hell am I supposed to find time for pleasure in while I'm dealing with a spewing baby and my baby's not sleeping and I just am so exhausted. I'd really love to hear, like, if you can give some examples of how you can bring pleasure into your life in little ways that don't actually take the amount of time that maybe a lot of people or a lot of women think that you need to be able to take.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I think the first step there is exactly right. That question that you said, but with a different tone, like how am I, how am I supposed to find more pleasure? Like asking yourself, how can I find more pleasure in this? Or how can I find some pleasure in this? I was really sick a few weeks ago. I was in bed for three days and I made it a little bit of an experiment to see if I could find any pleasure in that. I was like in serious pain for a good three days, couldn't get out of bed. And I was still able to find pleasure, pleasure filled moments in there of like at one point, like rolling over and seeing all my three kids and my husband at the dinner table, like having conversations together and. You know, looking after each other and just these little kindnesses that maybe I would have missed if I was, you know, getting dinner at the table, for example. So there's that piece, like actually asking the question of how can I find pleasure in this? Because what we focus on, we find the evidence for, right? And for me, in going back to, you know, the time when I was really struggling to find, you know, to even just be okay, let alone find pleasure, it was about acknowledging some of those beliefs that I'd had about like what a good mother is and deciding whether they were true or not and then honouring what it was, those little tiny things that I felt like that day, like these little tiny hints or whispers of like go outside or, you know, it might even be just like I don't have the energy to rock my baby to sleep today. I'm going to take him for a drive in the car. It's probably not how I think I should, I should, in inverted commas, be doing it. It's not how I'm supposed to do it. It's not how I feel is like, you know, um, it's almost like I wanted to have this 100% like perfect mothering scorecard, which is so random when I look back on it, but that's how I felt at the time. And so, yeah, doing those little things that would at first perhaps even alleviate some suffering and then noticed that made me feel good so even now sometimes it's like you know my kids there you know one's just turned seven and we've got four and a two-year-old and sometimes if I picked them up from somewhere and we're in the car we might just go for a longer drive because I know they're all strapped in I can do some low intensive parenting we can go for a nice drive up the bush you know it's a chance to listen to some music and maybe have a conversation and I don't have to meet any of their needs at that time Um, some other little things I would always get out and go for a walk if I could, um, you know, once baby had gotten off the boob, sometimes I'd pop him in a carrier. Um, but I found for me, like being out in nature is super helpful. That could just be getting my bare feet on the ground, on the grass in my backyard. Um, that could even just be like, instead of hanging out the washing, like laying down on the ground and looking up at the clouds for a few minutes first, um, it could be like going for a walk on the beach. So being in nature, I found super helpful. And like now, I mean, you can pop your baby in a carrier or in the pram, you know, um, finding things that would work. And obviously, if they don't like the carrier or the pram, you'll find something else. But I think that's part of it too, like having it be a, an experiment.
1: Yeah, I, I really love that because you're right. A lot of A lot of women, a lot of mothers have these ideas that pleasure has to be this really big thing and maybe it needs to take a lot of time. So I like that you gave some examples of things that you can do in your own backyard, you know. And I was actually thinking about about this yesterday because I was actually lying in the backyard reading your book. And I realized that it was the first time in, I don't even know how long, that I had lay in my own backyard in the sun. Um, I do try and take one day a week where I will go to the beach and go for a walk. But most of the time when I'm at home, I'm just inside working or I might go out in the afternoon if I'm playing soccer with my son, but I don't really go outside and do anything pleasurable. And I was thinking um, our son was watching TV yesterday because it was a weekend and I was like, yep, I'm happy for him to do that and I'm just going to lay here in the sun and not feel guilty that he's watching a whole heap of Pokemon today <laughs> because it's nice to just... <clears throat> have these little moments of pleasure um, in really small ways, you know, literally lying in the backyard, uh, in the sun, reading a book and just resting, which is something that I don't really do very much of. And so I think it is really helpful for mothers to understand that you can look for pleasure in really small ways, whether it's Drinking out of your favorite mug. And, you know, these are some of the things I started to do in the last few years as well. Just, And it doesn't have to be fancy or expensive. I literally went to Kmart and got a couple of these really beautiful blue ceramic mugs. I think they were mm. $4 each, but they look really beautiful and I like drinking out of them. Um, and it made it just a little bit more pleasurable in the morning to make a cup of tea or something like that. Or the same with just getting, you know, a nice bowl and having my meals in that each day. Again, it wasn't something super expensive. And I heard this actually shared as well by Denise Duffield Thomas, who I know you're familiar with because you mentioned her in your book. I think, um, you know, for those who are listening that don't know who she is, you know, she has a multi-million dollar business. So obviously she can have a lot of pleasure and luxury in her life. But she shared that One of her favorite mugs to drink out of is, yeah, I think like a $4 Kmart mug. It's blue, it matches her branding, and it makes her happy. Yeah. And I think it's just helpful to know that we can look for pleasure in these little everyday moments, whether it's maybe if you've got a deck, sitting on the deck listening to the birds or going for a walk or, like you said, um, putting the kids in the car and going driving while they're asleep so that you just don't have to (laughs) actually – talk to them or take care of anyone for a little while. You can listen to whatever music you want and have some time for yourself. So I think it's really helpful um, having those real life tips. Um, Now, I did want to talk to you as well about the process of writing A Mother's Pleasure because obviously um, on Authors of Impact, we love to dive into the process behind the book or behind the memoir. So when did you get the idea to start writing it and what was it like? You know, did you find that you were really overwhelmed in the beginning because you didn't know where to start? What was it like for you as a first time author?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, first of all, I never thought I would have a book. Like it's not ever been like a goal of mine to write a book in that sense. Um, it's almost like I'm learning why it needed to be be a book after the fact. Um, you know, even just in someone spending money on themselves to gift themselves something and to actually, as you were doing, like sitting down in the sunshine to read a book, like that's part of the process of learning to give yourself pleasure, right? So that aside, to start with, I think it was maybe when I was pregnant with my second child and I was starting to learn all of this stuff and discover all this stuff about how I could actually like feel good in motherhood. Um, I have also have a bit of a past in like finding pleasure. I think one of my favorite books is, um, it's, uh, it's, what is it? I'm see if I've got it in here. It's called An Almanac for the Heart and it's about pleasure and it's Nikki Nikki Gamel. And so it was like one of my very first books I bought myself as like, I think, a teenager. And so I've always had this connection with pleasure. And so, yeah, after I was, I think, then pregnant with my second, I got this idea about, you know, talking more about pleasure in motherhood. And so I started like Googling. I started looking online to see what was out there in terms of like other articles and, you know, books and other conversations around pleasure and motherhood. And I couldn't find much. Um, I could find conversations around like how to find more joy in motherhood and like the joy or the pleasure of like having children. Um, And the other kind of conversation around, you know, pleasure was like, oh, how hard motherhood is. And so there wasn't really anything to do with like actually just finding pleasure in motherhood. And so I started to do some research and put a few things down, um, write a few things out. And then I just kind of lost the spark for it. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to pop this on the shelf, which would have made sense if I actually was pregnant um, or have just birthed my son. I was just trying to remember exactly when I put it on the shelf. And then about three years later, um, the idea came back to me again. And by this time, I then spent another three years of like working more with clients and, you know, really diving into this work a lot more. And yeah, so I kind of like had this tapping me on the shoulder again. And because like by now I'm really connected to my desires and I could feel this desire quite strong. And I was like, right, okay. So if I'm gonna op- if I'm going to write this book um there were a couple of things of like almost like conditions that I kind of give myself like just the idea that okay it would just be a tiny book because the idea of writing a really big book or just like a standard size book seemed too much for me at that time um by this time I'd had my third child so they're all just yeah just over two years apart I had three kids in four and a half years so yeah the idea that it didn't need to take a long time it wasn't going to be a big book was part of it and that again like it was going to be something that brought me pleasure. I was going to do it in a way that felt good for me or I wasn't going to do it at all. And within three days of almost like agreeing that I would write this book, I I think I got about 11 out of the 14 chapters, like the titles, and I just started writing them down. I didn't know what order, order they were. I just was writing down these chapter titles. And from there, like within the next probably two weeks, I started to get a couple of different things that would go well in each of those chapters. I got perhaps at least a story or two whether it was my own or one of my clients. I got a really good activity or two that I could add into it and then of course I had the content like I knew the information. So that's how I started to see this book. So I kind of knew and I didn't know it was going to be 14 chapters then I thought the 11 was kind of like it. And so from there when it began when it, when it started when it became to writing it. Um, I decided I would make it a really pleasurable experience, and from eight till nine at night, I would sit with my laptop and be my husband's companion on the lounge with my earphones in, listening to some binaural beats and just write. So I aimed to write 600 words six days a week, and I thought, okay, so after three months, that should be done. I'll be done in three months. And I wanted to do it quickly, because I work really well with time pressure. And Yeah. And so the way it actually came about in terms of the process of writing it was I did what I normally do and I decided to let my desire drive me. So what chapter do I want to write first? And so I chose a chapter to write and I would just write it. And then I would be like, well, which one's next? And it kind of went, it made sense. Like from there, I would be like, oh, okay. So that one comes next because that then leads into that. And then I would realize that, oh, well, that chapter needs to come before the first one that I did. So I ended up writing the book from the middle out, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, so I'd kind of then ended up writing the book from the middle out and then it had all been strung together with about 11 chapters and we ended up making one of them, a, you know, one was quite big. So we split it into two and added it on another one at the end and things like that. So yeah, that's kind of like the process in terms of like how I went about writing it. It was very much desire driven and it was very organic. And um, I think what was really helpful was the fact that because it was my first book and I didn't have this, um, I didn't have this identity of a writer or an author, which some people might see as restrictive, but I I found it really freeing. Like it was almost like I have no expectations. Um, That's, yeah, that's so interesting because- and
1: there's quite a few things that you're saying that I was like, wow, I really want to dive into these um, because first of all, the, the fact that you were able to identify that you wanted to write in a desire-driven way and just throw away all the supposed rules, you know, of writing a book, which aren't aren't there, you know, there's a couple of rules, but mostly it's about experimentation. It's about yeah. creativity. It's about listening to our intuition. And it's interesting because I... I regularly give the advice to my clients of, you know, you don't have to write from start to finish. You can pick up wherever you like, wherever you feel, you know, I usually say whatever you feel led to write about or you feel is on your heart or it's interesting to you, start there because that will then give you other ideas of how to tie that chapter in somewhere else or um, how the book will come together. And I just find it really fascinating that you were able to identify that you know, from this desire-driven kind of framework because that does work really well when you take the pressure off and you make it about fulfilling your desire of writing something um, that means something to you or is interesting. The other thing that I think is really great is that you gave yourself these little bite-sized kind of bite-sized homework where you could go, all right, six days a week, I'm going to do 600 words which obviously takes a lot of pressure off because sometimes some writers think that they have to sit down and do like 2,000 words at a time or this or that. But that consistent um, writing is obviously going to get you a lot further than putting huge pressure on yourself and then not fulfilling it. So I think it's really great that you did that as well. Um, The other thing that I think is really great about A Mother's Pleasure um, and For anyone listening, you know, I recommend that you even just Google, you know, Regan's name and A Mother's Pleasure and have a look at the book because it is a really nice bite-sized book. Um, It kind of fits into what is now being called Shooks, like short books, um, which apparently a lot of people are really going for those these days. Um, And I, I kind of know that myself because my first book was only a little over 100 or I think it was actually a little under 100 pages maybe and it was quite short but everybody loved reading it because it was so easy to get through um the chapters were nice and short and I think that's what's really good about A Mother's Pleasure is that when I started reading it I was like wow these margins are amazing (laughs) and that might sound really silly and geeky but I was like this book is so easy to read because there's lots of white space um you've got these beautiful pages throughout where you've got quotes. Um, So there was one, where was it? Where you said, say yes to receiving and enjoy the things that bring you pleasure. So there's just these pages at the end of some of the chapters where there's just a nice quote and it's a good place for the reader to be able to rest their eyes, rest their mind for a little bit, take in the words of, of that particular quote and maybe work through some of the activities in that chapter um, and I think that's really great and and just you know a really beautiful gift for time poor or tired mums I was wondering if that was intentional
0: yes it was very intentional um, with the design and another thing too um that probably you'll notice now that I mention it is there's a lot of subtitles throughout the chapter so we didn't, and I, we know this too, right? If you're reading a book, sometimes it's like, oh, I just want to get to the end of the chapter, right? And you're like, your eyes are closing. And so, I didn't want there to be any pressure for a mama to be reading this book and feel like, oh, I've only read two pages; that's not enough. Um, so, there is many subtitles throughout, so they can kind of have that little bite-sized piece and finish up. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely very intentional, and I love that it is, you know, it's not intimidating in its size. And, yeah, I liked that size and it's perfect size to perhaps fit in a glove box of a car should you be used to having a napping baby that you've got to sit in the car, Um, can fit in a nappy bag and a handbag, that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, it's very true because the book is a little bit under 200 pages Um, but as both you and I were saying, you know, for anyone listening, lots of subtitles, lots of white space, very easy to read, Um, nice little actionable activities and suggestions at the end of the chapters that you can dive into if you want to um, which I think is great as well because it gives the reader a chance to you know I don't necessarily want to say integrate but you know it is it, it is giving them a chance to think about what they've just read and how they can apply it to their lives rather than just doing what we are so used to doing on social media of just consuming just scrolling consuming consuming not really taking in what we're reading. So. I think it's, yeah, it's beautiful the way it's been designed. The whole book is really beautiful, especially the cover. And I was wondering Mm. whether you came up for the concept of of the cover, which is this beautiful photo of you kind of resting um, on your side and there's a big rose beside you and yeah, and and a big moon behind. And I was wondering, yeah, who came up with the book cover and what the process was like of creating that? Did it take you a long time to get to that final design that's on the cover
0: not really so um the publishers that looked after me was the kind press and they have their own designer there who helped design the cover but my initial kind of um, feel or vibe for the cover was lounge goddess you know kind of like the feeling of what I want this mother to embody coming out of the book and perhaps even reading the book And so I got together with a photographer and I knew I wanted like me on the cover. And so we did a bit of a photo shoot and yeah, so you'll find the picture of me in the cover is actually me on her lounge, just, you know, lounging, being a lounge goddess, right? And so we used that image and they came up with, the designer came up with about nine different concepts, which I wasn't expecting to be honest. I thought they'd give me one and we'd work from there. And so, yeah, I got to have a look at really different options for covers. And in fact, one of them was what I'd had in my mind initially. But then when I kind of sat with it for a little bit, I realized that actually that kind of a cover looked more like almost like an outdated romance novel. So I did like it, but I didn't think it would do it justice. And you know yourself, when you get to the end of a book and it's you've been through all the edits and it's finally complete. Yes. The last thing you want to do is
1: go ahead with something that doesn't really properly represent the book or align with the book and and I think it's completely I love that you've shared that, you know, there was a concept in there that wasn't didn't feel right because I think for some new authors they might think that you just yeah, you get one idea of the cover and you just run with that, Um, but in my experience and lots of others, it takes usually takes a long time and a lot of back and forth to get to what you really want. Um, but yeah, that that other cover that you had, that was what did it look like? The one that you felt looked a bit too romancy.
0: It was all very kind of dark and like imagine like the you know, a window with a little bit of light coming through like a sheer curtain and me on a lounge. Yes. Okay. And this kind of in like the font was this kind of like old school, yeah, romance novel font. I don't know. And that was it. And I was like, oh, I realized that, you know, sometimes when we start a project or, you know, start writing a book, you know, we do have these kind of ideas and that's really great because that helps us to start or it helps us to get to that first step. Um, but sometimes it changes towards the end. And so, yeah, when I was presented with that cover, it's pretty much exactly the same as one of the concepts, like the draft concept. Um, I loved the roses in it because of, like, what the rose represents. Um, and I loved, like, the the road as well because this is quite a book of, you know, a journey that we go on. I loved the colors. The moon made it seem quite, like, mystic and mm. um it does have yeah. a very
1: mystic vibe to it. Like, I really, yeah. I really loved it. I was looking at it when I got it and I was like, it also feels so beautiful because it's got this matte kind of mm. cover. And I've actually been regretting that I didn't go with a matte. I think just because when I started my author journey, everyone was doing the glossy covers and that was what I was told to go with. So I went with it. And then I just sort of thought, oh, that's the way it is. And lately I've been feeling all these beautiful matte covers that just are so smooth and I'm actually thinking about yeah changing just just reprinting mine in a matte and seeing what it looks like it's also great when you want to another kind of nerdy thing but if you're getting photos with your book it also then doesn't Ah, get that glossy
0: reflection
1: where you've got to hold it in a certain direction so the light's not bouncing off it but yeah the cover is gorgeous I was really impressed and I think this is You know, I think this is great as well for those who maybe still have some reservations around self-assisted publishing where they think, I'm going to get like a subpar kind of sub-quality product. It's not going to be that good. Obviously, you do have to do a lot of work to find someone who's very good at what they do. But books like A Mother's Pleasure really show that you can have this traditional paperback worthy, um, you know, celebrity worthy cover On the front of your book that's just you know beautiful and nobody would even know from looking at it whether it's um like who it was published by so you could see this book in you know any bookshop and it would fit right in so it looks really beautiful and um it sounds like you had a really good experience with the publishing house that you worked with did you go to a lot of different publishers before this one and did you have any challenges along the
0: way Yeah. No, look, I, I'd only ever intended on self-publishing to begin with. And then once I'd completed it, I was like, you know what? This book deserves like a professional editor to see it. You know, I'm, I'm not there yet, you know? Um, But actually going through that editing process with a professional editor has made my writing better. And so it started out with just, I was like, right, I'm just going to get someone to professionally edit it. Help me with that, you know? Um, And then I'll self-publish from there. And then the editor that I found who I wanted to work with, um, she then couldn't take on my project because she ended up having to have, um, some surgeries and things like that. And so she suggested, um, this independent publishing house cause they can sometimes do, you know, just the editing process or what have you. And then I got talking with them and I realized I felt for myself at that time. Cause by then I think my daughter was one. So I had a one, three and five year old. And I was kind of like, you know what, I kind of want to just trust this desire to hand it all over and do the whole process. And so, yeah, they basically, I had a discussion with them. I sent them the manuscript and they said it, you know, fit perfectly with, you know, a lot of their authors and their books, their titles. So yeah, they really, they invited me to um, work with them. So it was actually quite lovely. I then, I'd also done it a little bit of looking around in terms of, you know, other people doing other publishing houses, doing the whole thing for me. Um, But yeah, I just settled on, didn't settle on, but I knew that, you know, when you have that desire to work with someone, but before you just go go ahead and say, yeah, okay. You think, oh, I should probably do my research first. So I kind of did my background research and I still landed on them. So yeah, it was pretty simple in that sense you know, you're obviously a very intuitive person. You,
1: it's very clear that you know how to trust your own decisions and what's coming up for you. But I think it's still good that you did that kind of head rationale, like the head versus heart where you went, okay, I, I feel that this is really aligned to work with Kind Press, but let me just do some research first, just to make sure that it's not my emotions getting, uh, taking, taking control. Um, but it is really good to make sure that you're working with someone who feels aligned, that obviously they're professional, they have good reviews, and having a look at some of the other titles that they've published as well. And obviously, as you said, you could see that your book fit in really well within their um, their collection of, of books and titles. So
0: I think it's really good that you did that. Mm, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, like I said, I was I was a rookie, brand new. I didn't really know the go. They could have told me it was X amount of dollars and I would have been like, oh, okay, so that's the going price in the industry. So so
1: on that note then, did you have a look at the prices of some other publishing houses and then go, okay, what they're offering me seems about standard?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And actually um, when I was looking at, for example, the original editor that I was going to use, you know, her pricing was actually a lot higher than, um, you know, the publishing house. So I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's interesting too. So, mm.
1: And are you, and obviously we can cut this out if you don't want to share, but are you sure. comfortable sharing just a ballpark figure of how much the editing was, like just to give people an idea?
0: Yeah, sure. So the original editor that I'd contacted, um, I got a quote back for $4,500 just under. Well, wow, for quite a short book too. Yeah. It is quite, yeah. It is quite high. Yeah. Yeah, so, um and
1: obviously everybody, you know, everyone sets their own prices and that's fine for them to do that, but I just, I feel like it's really helpful for other writers to know what some of those pricing mm-hmm. guidelines are because, yeah, I've had people in the past come to me and say they were quoted like $20,000 to publish, like maybe just edit and publish the book, and that didn't include printing, um mm-hmm it didn't include ghost. I was like, is that including like some ghost writing? And they're like, no, it's just like putting the book together and printing it like to be, to be printed. And I was like, that that is ridiculous, you know? Um, But then some people also have really ridiculous ideas of what pricing should be. And they think that an editor should do it for like a hundred dollars or, you know, stuff like that. And obviously being in this profession, I know how much work it takes to edit and scrub up a book for publishing. So yeah. that kind of guideline of, um, you know, I usually say to people, depends on the size of the book. But, you know, for my book, it was, you know, in the two to somewhere in the two to $3,000 range. But that was for a book that was almost 100,000 words. Whereas your book is is quite a bit smaller. So I wouldn't mm. expect that you should need to be paying that much. So it's really helpful just to hear authors share a little bit about what some
0: of the quotes were that they had and all those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. And so mine is 36,000 words. And, uh, when I got back some other quotes and, um, the quote from the, qui- the kind, the kind, <laughs> the, the, kind press. Press. <laughs> the kind press, um, yeah, it was like less than half of that yeah. original quote and they were so professional. And I really actually, I think you know so it's so easy to consider like the cost or what you're paying and also neglect to consider what you actually get out of it I would happily pay that money again to go through that editing process and Mm -hmm. see like I like I said I learned so much from that process like see the actual like structural editing and then the line editing and then you know realizing that actually I'm making no sense at all here or like why am I taking a whole page to write something that could be written in a paragraph so with with
1: your editing when you talk just there about the line editing and the structural editing um a lot of people might have a concept of that but with your edits did you get like how many rounds of editing did you get and then was it just that they like crossed out some words here and there that were repetitive and gave you a list of feedback or was it a lot more detailed than that
0: it was detailed um but not pedantic if that makes sense Um, so the first, I think there was kind of like three major rounds, like the first one was like the structural edit. So starting strong, finishing strong, making sure it flowed well, um, making sure that, you know, me stringing these chapters together actually worked, um, nicely. And thankfully we didn't have to make any major changes there. Um, but that looked like, you know, as I was saying, you know, when I'd maybe written, you know, a whole page or half a page that could be, you know, surmised into a paragraph. It was comments like, can you make this, you know, more clear or, you know, this part doesn't make sense or, you know, those kind of comments. Um, Plus then sometimes there would be, you know, comments of like, could we make this paragraph say this instead? What do you think? Um, Which I loved because again, it was like, you know, when you get to see like, oh, A or B and it's like, oh, actually that is much better. So therefore it's like, I understand how I can write something like that better next time. Then the next part I believe was like the line edit. So that's basically looking at making sure all the lines in the paragraph and everything like flow smoothly and you know, words are where they're supposed to be and it makes sense. Um, and then the last round was that kind of proofreading um, round. And so whilst there were three kind of main editing kind of rounds, there was some back and forwards in there as well. so that, and, and I really liked this part too because it helped me become more confident in my work, in what I was sharing in my book. You know, when they'd said like, I don't think this needs to be in there. I was like, no, no, this stays, you know. Uh, and there were other pieces there where they were like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm like, that's so good because it makes sense to me. But if it doesn't make sense to you, it's probably not going to make sense to other people who are maybe just coming into this yeah, work. Yeah. And we're too close to our work to be able to see that a lot yeah. of the time. I
1: had that too where um, my editor, you know, made a note about something in particular. And she's like, I think I can see what you're saying here. But just the way that it's the sentence is structured, it kind of sounds like I think I was talking about um, I'd been photographing a band in the rain and I can't remember what I I must have described the band in the first part of the sentence and then I was saying about the rain falling and I was saying that the rain was like these big juicy um, voluminous uh, droplets of rain however I'd written it she was like it kind of sounds like maybe you're saying the band member like was <laughs> fat and juicy. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, definitely not." Uh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> we need to change that. Um so it's just really helpful to have that guidance. So I'm glad that you yeah, gave a mother's pleasure the the um you know, the love and care it needed by getting an editor and going through these things and it sounds like you had a really good experience, which I'm really glad to hear because um, not everybody's always lucky the first time around, especially if they don't quite do their research. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing with us about, you know, some of the behind the scenes part of it. Um, I want to respect your time cause we're, we're coming to the end of the hour, but I would love to just ask you two more questions. Um, firstly, I would love to know what does it mean to you to be an author of impact?
0: I think, and this is something that I've learned from having my book out in the world, it is about calling your people towards you and together. So many years ago, my husband and I, we did an overseas Europe trip for about a year and we went to the Coliseum and, you know, everyone in the Coliseum, there's all these like tour groups, right? And so each group has their leader and has a little flag And some of them were like bouquets of flowers and others were actual flags and they're all different. And it was good to know, you you know, obviously who are your people by that flag. And I feel like being an author and putting your work out into the world, that's you putting a little flag up. And so, especially for this book and this work of almost like calling in women and mothers who are. Desiring a more pleasurable experience of motherhood and life, it is bringing those women together through me and this book, you know, whilst that they might just have the book and they read it at home and they don't come across my social media page or do any programs or anything like that with me. Um, it's creating, it's creating a, a pleasure re- revolution in motherhood, whether it is just, and I say just, but it's not, you know, just as in, insignificant. But whether it is just with those women at home changing things in their own life for their children to see how they are, I don't, I don't think deserving is the right word, but just that they matter too. They're allowed to have enjoyment and pleasure and um, sensuality and fun in motherhood. You know, that alone, it, it creates a cultural shift you know, just from having their children watch that and as they grow up and experience that and then how those mothers be out in the world, in their communities, in their family, you know, in their work. Um, So I think for me, being an author of impact is, it means to create culture change one reader at a time. Yes, I resonate so much with that. And
1: I think these in, these conversations are truly important and I'm really glad that you've written about them and you're advocating about them because it is so important for mothers to understand that we, you know, we we, sh- we need to have, um, you know, it's not selfish to take care of ourselves and to be aware of what we desire and to um, actually call, call in and be open to more desire or more pleasure in our lives and to see that um, as being not always tied to sex as well, to understand, you know, what, what would make our life more pleasurable. And it reminds me of a quote in your book, which I, I can't remember word for word, but it said something like, pleasure makes, you know, the darkness brighter, it makes the heavy lighter. I think it said something like that. And it's so true. So thank you for the work that you're doing for mamas like myself. And for those who want to know more about um, your work or want to get a copy of A Mother's Pleasure, where can they find that info?
0: Yeah, so if they want to just head to my website, just Reganfeeg.com, you'll be able to find everything there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Authors of Impact. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> thank you, Regan. Thanks so much.
1: Hey there, Changemaker. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're feeling ready to take the next step in your author journey. As always, I'd love for you to hit the subscribe notification so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. And of course, if you're feeling ready to take the next step with your own writing and publishing journey, and you're looking for one-on-one support, I would love for you to reach out to me at jazrawlinson.com bookcoaching. Until next time, keep writing, keep creating impact. And remember, there is always someone out there waiting for a story just like yours.